Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, let's pray. Let's get into the study. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you for you, for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to worship with the other believers who are here and who've joined us online. Uh, we also pray, Father, for, uh, I pray for the gift of teaching, the fresh filling of your spirit. And Lord, may I decrease at this time and you increase and may you be glorified on this campus, in this building tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we are in uh, Mark chapter 11. And we're going to cover verses 1 through 19. 1 through 19. And the title of tonight's lesson is Cleansing the Temple. Cleansing the Temple. And so exactly uh, the types of things we're going to see in this lesson are, first of all, the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We're going to see his triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And this is what we call Palm Sunday, which of course is a week before Resurrection Sunday, which means that he would have to die first. So yes, this is the week of his crucifixion, also the week of Passover, of the Passover feast. So that's the context of this triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday. But also, uh, we're going to see the cleansing of the temple because that would happen the following day on a Monday. And again, on that same week that Jesus will be crucified, the same week of that last Passover feast that Jesus was a part of on his earthly ministry. And so we're going to focus on both of those events and we're going to see what the Lord has for us in tonight's study. And it is guaranteed that we will find personal application in these scriptures. And it's a personal guarantee. And I guarantee that personally, of course, because we all have room to grow. But it's a matter of of us receiving that and doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, yes, that guarantee is there that we're going to find some spiritual nuggets in this triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple. And so we want to look at Mark 11 and we want to begin at verse one. And there it says, now, when they speaking of Jesus and his disciples drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives or near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them in verse two, go into the village opposite or ahead of you. And that village is probably Bethphage. But he says, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a coat a coat tied, a young donkey, in other words, tied there on which no one has sat. He said, loose it and bring it. In Matthew 21, 2, Jesus also mentioned not only the coat or the young donkey, donkey, but also the adult donkey. So he said, loose them and bring them to me. Again, you can find that uh, bit of detail there in Matthew 21. So there's two of them, but one, of course, is a colt. And then in verse 3 of Mark 11, just to continue in our study, it says, And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Why are you loosing the the donkey and his colt? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So now as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he made stops in Bethphage and Bethany At the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is a mountain range that runs 
the north-south direction, and it's located to the east of the city of Jerusalem. And in between the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem, there's a valley called the Kidron Valley. And one of these cities, Bethany, was located on the east side or the lower eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And it was about two miles east of the city of Jerusalem. And those of you who are Bible scholars, you've been reading your Bibles. You also recognize that Bethany was the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, those siblings. And remember that Lazarus is the one who died that Jesus brought back to life. And he commanded that those grave clothes would be loose when, when Lazarus came out of the grave. It's that Lazarus, it's that Martha, that Mary who lived in Bethany. But again, it was located on the east side. And then Bethphage was also located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And it was a mile east of Jerusalem, and it was kind of close to Bethany. And so that's pretty much the area Jesus was in during this time. Now, as Jesus prepared to enter into Jerusalem, we can see him using his omniscience. Remember that Jesus, although he became a human or took upon himself a human body at a certain point in history, which we do celebrate this time of year in the holiday we call Christmas, but he did not give up his deity. Although he took upon that human body, he did not give up his deity, never stopped being God. And so here you see his omniscience being put to use, which means that he is all knowing. And so he was able to tell his two disciples that he sent ahead of him to, to get those donkeys, one the adult, one the colt. He was able to give them all the information they needed and to tell them how it would work out. And that just reminds me of the fact, which is a point that is applicable to all of us, that when God wants us to do something, he knows exactly how it's going to work out. Just like he knew how it was going to work out when he sent his two disciples ahead of him to bring the coat to him. And listen, all they had to do was obey. He knew it all, knew how it was going to play out. All they had to do was obey. And if someone asked them a question, he even gave them the answer. And he does that for us as well. We have the answers that we need in the word of God. When he tells us to do something, we should just go ahead and obey what he tells us to do. He knows what he's doing. He knows how it's going to work out. And if we go against his will, then we're going against whatever benefit we might gain from it. He knows exactly how it's going to play out. And so be obedient to him. Follow God's advice. In verse 4, it says, so they went their way, those two disciples. They went their way. And they found a coat tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing a coat? Luke 19, 33 in the second half says that, that they were the owners who asked them the question. Why are you loosing the coat? And back in Mark eleven six 6, it says, and the disciples spoke to those owners just as Jesus had commanded. They were obedient. And how they answered. They were obedient in what they did. They were obedient in how they answered the question. And so they let them go. Those owners of the donkey and its colt. They released them to the disciples so that Jesus can use them. And so tonight I asked the question, what do you have that the Lord wants to use? What do you have that the Lord wants to put to use? Maybe some of you have found that out already. You may know the answer at this time. 
And it's just a matter of releasing it. Just like these owners of the donkey and the colt release those animals to the disciples for Jesus' use. So maybe for you, it's just a matter of releasing whatever it is God wants to use. Maybe some of you have not found out. Maybe you haven't even thought of praying about it. And so I encourage you tonight to pray about it. Lord, how do you want to use me? What skill, what talent do you want to use? What spiritual gift have you allowed me to use on this side of eternity so that I can use it to help be a blessing to the body of Christ and bring glory to your name? So I'd encourage you to ask that question. And once you find out what it is the Lord wants to use, the question is, will you let him use it? Are you going to hold on to it? I would suggest that you become like those owners of the donkey and the colt and release it for his use. Mark eleven seven it says, Then they brought the donkey and the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And so they threw their clothes on the colt of the donkey. Jesus sat on it. You know, according to some sources, kings who came in peace would ride on donkeys. And so Jesus was not coming to destroy. He was coming to extend peace, of course. And only that, that peace would only be available through him. The peace between man and God. Because man is at odds with God. There's a gap there. And that gap is there because of our sins. But Jesus has come to bridge the gap. To bring reconciliation. And so God has turned his face towards mankind. And that all that there is to do is for mankind to turn their faces to God. And be reconciled. And so... The peace is there. The king of peace is riding on the donkey. Then the scriptures tell us in Matthew 21 verses 4 and 5. That all this was done that it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by the prophet saying. Tell the daughter of Zion. Another name for Jerusalem. Behold your king is coming to you. Lowly and sitting on the donkey. A colt. The foal or the young offspring of a donkey. And so that scripture is mentioned because it is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But back in Mark eleven eight, it says, And many, that is, many people spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And these leafy branches, by the way, were from palm trees. And so that's one of the reasons it's called Palm Sunday. And so he's making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and people spreading their clothes on the road, cutting down branches of palm trees and laying them out on the road. These people went out to meet him. Remember, it would have been a bunch of people there in Jerusalem during this time because it's the week of the Passover. And so there's many of these folks there. And you know, by spreading these clothes and by spreading the palm tree branches in Jesus's pathway, as he rode upon the coat of a donkey, the people were showing honor and respect and putting flowers and branches, clothes or Things like that in the pathway of conquerors, by the way, and in the path of, of rulers or kings in order to welcome them and honor them. That was actually a common thing during that time. And so this wasn't something unusual that the people were doing. But what's happening here is something special because this is Jesus, God himself in the flesh. And he's showing himself to be the promised king. The, the promised Messiah, the, the promised Christ that the scriptures talked about. And so again, you see Zechariah 9.9 being fulfilled. So what's going on here is pretty much like a, a red carpet, carpet treatment that's going on. 
And so people, yes, they're honoring him. They're, they're, they're welcoming him. And so I just want to know tonight, are you giving Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the red carpet treatment in your life? Maybe you haven't repented and put your faith in Christ. Maybe you have been deciding to trust in yourself or to trust in some other God or religion or maybe to keep some kind of set of rules or maybe you have a self-help book or maybe you're turning to the stars and you're into astrology and things like that. And so you've been pushing Jesus away. You have not rolled out the red carpet, so to speak, for him. And so you're telling him that he is not welcome in your life. But those of us who are believers, you're believers right now. You have repented. You have turned from sin. You are sorry for your sins. You have put your faith and your trust in Christ. And the question that I have for you and for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ who are on our way to heaven is, have we been giving Jesus the red carpet treatment in our problems, in our lives? Have we told Jesus that, yes, Jesus, I love you and I honor you, I respect you, and you are welcome to be a part of my life and to be a part of every situation in my life? Are we giving him that red carpet treatment? You know, in Luke 19.37, as we fill in the blanks here in the story, it says, then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. Remember, he's coming from the east side of the mountain. And now he's going towards Jerusalem. Now, he's on the descent of this mount now. But as he was, it says that the whole multitude, the whole crowd of the disciples, they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And we continue in Mark 11, verse 9. Then those who went before, those who went ahead of Jesus, and those who followed Jesus, they cried out saying, Hosanna, which means, oh, save or save now. And they continue, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a quote from, again, the Old Testament is from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Luke 19, 38 adds that the people shouted, peace in heaven and glory in the highest or glory in the highest heaven. Now we're back in Mark eleven ten. if you're keeping track. They continue, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. See, they understood that Jesus is the king who could deliver them. They understood that Jesus is the king who could save them. However, the problem was they were only thinking in political terms. They were looking for only a political leader. They were looking for him to help them to overcome the Romans right now, to get his kingdom going right now. But in this first coming, if you've been paying attention to the scriptures, he dealt with the sin issue. That's the most important issue that needed to be dealt with, sin, had to be dealt with because we're talking about a holy God. And of course, we're talking about God, the son who stepped in and he took care of the sin issue. He became the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he satisfied the holy, righteous demands of God's wrath against sin. Therefore, making it possible for man to be reconciled, making it possible for all of mankind to be savable. And I put it that way because it doesn't automatically mean that everybody's going to be saved because people have free will. And so, yes, God is sovereign, 
But within his plan of salvation, within his sovereignty, God willed to use human will in the process of salvation. And so, yes, everyone is savable, but, but have they put their faith and trust in Christ? Not everyone. But praise God for those of us who have, and we should be praying for those who have not at this point. Praying for those spiritual blinders to be lifted, as we talked about in one of the past studies. And so he came to deal with the sin issue the first time. He came as the Lamb of God during, of course, this Passover week that we're studying right now. This is, this is the context, once again, of the study. And so even now, although Jesus has not set up his kingdom literally and physically, we can still be a part of this kingdom. And as believers, we are a part of his kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom at this point. But as I mentioned before, and time and time again in the future, yes, he will reign physically and visibly on the earth. But the sin issue first, the glory comes later. You know, in general. In general, these people were not wrong for identifying him as the deliverer. They were not wrong by saying save now. Yes, that's the right thing to say to him in general. And so that concept of this deliverer, of the Messiah being a deliverer. Yes, it is correct. But do we understand that he is a spiritual deliverer? He is a spiritual deliverer to set people free from sin, to set people free from the penalty of sin, to set people free from the power of sin. You see, once and for all, for all as believers, we're set free from the penalty of it. But now we're being set apart from or set free from the power of sin. It's called sanctification. And finally, in that final stage of our salvation, we will be set free from the presence of sin once and for all. And so we are heading toward glorification. Luke 19, verses 39, 44. I have some more fill-in verses for you. So you can write it down or you can turn there, click there if you have time. But it says, and some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd. They said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They wanted them to rebuke. They wanted Jesus to rebuke his disciples because they were saying things that would identify him as the Messiah. Obviously, they didn't receive him as the Messiah. So they told him to rebuke his followers. But he answered and said to them in Luke 19, 40, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near to Jerusalem, he saw the city and listen, he wept over it, saying this, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, you could have peace right now if you understood that this is your day. You understood that. He said, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Luke 19, 43, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. He's talking to the city of Jerusalem as a whole and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. So now what Jesus is talking about has actually already been fulfilled in, in, in 70 AD when the Romans led by General Titus, their general, had destroyed Jerusalem, including the temple. So at that time, it was prophecy. But of course, looking back, it's history. It's been fulfilled and why did this happen to Jerusalem? Why did it happen to their temple? And they still don't have their temple, by the way. But they're going to get that temple during the tribulation period. The tribulation period is not here yet. 
But once the Antichrist makes that covenant with Israel, and once you see that temple going up, which I don't believe we'll be here to see that, but now that's during the tribulation period. The, the, the point where the Antichrist signs the covenant with Israel, seven years of tribulation follows. Of course, he hasn't signed that agreement with them yet. But we can see the signs of the times. We can see some things falling into place, setting a climate for the Antichrist. So we can kind of see things going the direction of the tribulation period. But at this point, as believers, we should be looking for Jesus to come back for his saints and what we call the rapture where we meet him in the air. So we have that hope as believers. But what happened there in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, it it, it was a result of them rejecting Jesus. They didn't recognize the time of their visitation. So Darrell, would you say something about this time of visitation? This time that the Messiah had come to visit them, just to clarify. But this visitation, by the way, was actually prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. What you'll find in Daniel chapter 9 is the angel Gabriel going to Daniel who had been in prayer and telling him about this 70-week prophecy. And what's going on when I mean the 70-week prophecy there, there are 70-week uh, prophecies of seven years. So each week in this prophecy represents 70 years. And so we have, we're talking about 490 years. But this prophecy of the 70 weeks started when this decree went forth to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so after that decree, the angel Gabriel told him, that they were 69 weeks from the decree to the time the Messiah would come. And that's what we're looking at here. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem on the coat of a donkey. And so it was 483 years or 69, seven, so to speak, 69 weeks, 483 years from the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem to this point of the Messiah arriving in Jerusalem. And of course that happened because the word of God is true. God is true. Check this out in Daniel 9 chapter 25. It says, now therefore, know therefore, sorry, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, Until Messiah, the prince, talking about Jesus, there shall be seven weeks and 62 sevens or 62 weeks. So these are 69 weeks of years. If you put those together, if you put the seven weeks and the 62 weeks together, those are 69 weeks of years. Again, equaling 483 years. And he says, the street shall be built again. And the wall, even in troublesome times. And so, when did this decree happen to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? It happened when King Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia during that time, gave the command to rebuild Jerusalem. And you can read Nehemiah chapter 2 for that information. And then where it says, until Messiah the prince, that's 483 years later from that point. And that's what we saw in our lesson with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. See, but in Jesus, again, you have omniscience. He's God. And so what what he saw because they didn't receive, they didn't know, they didn't understand the time that their Messiah had come. They didn't realize that those 483 years from that decree had come and that their Messiah was there. Because of that, again, he said, there's destruction coming upon you. And it's the same way with us. So let's not look at the Jews and and only say, oh, that was just for them. Because it's the same thing with us. God can see coming destruction in our lives. If you're still an unbeliever at this time, if we don't receive him. 
you don't understand, so to speak, the time of visitation. Every moment that he gives you, every breath he allows you to take, every sermon that goes forth, every person that shares the gospel with you and you reject Christ, that is the time of your visitation that you're not realizing. And God, I can imagine has a broken heart, just like we see here with Jesus weeping over, over the city because he knows the coming destruction that's coming upon people who refuse to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. It grieves God. Scriptures tell us that he takes no delight in punishing the wicked. Takes no delight in that. In Matthew 21, verses 10 and 11, as we continue to piece this story together, it says, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And then in, back in Mark eleven eleven, it says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So in other words, he went into the temple complex. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, it says he went out to Bethany with the 12. So he went back out to the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. It was late, but he had spent time scoping out the temple. But now the next day has come. So now it's Monday in Mark eleven twelve, Because it says now on the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar a, tr- a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to that fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So according to one source, It says that Jesus may have been looking either for remaining winter figs or for the first ripe figs. And whichever was missing indicated that the tree was infertile and would not give a main crop at the time of figs. And then another source says that in Israel, spring figs grow on the previous year's fruit shoots. These figs are smaller and blossom in March and April. The larger figs grow on new shoots between August and October. Spring figs always display leaves first. So when Jesus saw a tree with leaves, guess what? He expected that it would have some fruit on it. And this fig tree, by the way, is a picture of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel at that time was all show, so to speak, was all leaves, so to speak, but no fruit. That's what was going on. They weren't bearing any fruit. And I just want to submit to you today that the Lord is looking for fruit in our lives as well. Not just in the nation of Israel, but in your life but in my life. And so if God, and since he is looking for fruit in our lives, my question is, what is he going to find? Will he find the fruit of the spirit or will God find a lack of the fruit of the spirit, which in other words would be works of the flesh? What kind of fruit will he find in our lives? This should be the fruit that he should find, of course, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, and 23, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and joy is gladness that is not based on circumstances. Also peace. What is that peace? This is a state of assurance. This is a sense of contentment. This is freedom from worry and disturbance. This is freedom from oppressive thoughts. Again, a part of the fruit of the what? Holy Spirit who indwells every single believer. Also long-suffering or patience. People who are long-suffering, they are slow to speak. They are slow to anger, even though they have a reason to be angry with someone. 
patient, kindness. They're merciful. They're tender. They're, they have that eagerness to put other people at ease. And how about goodness? Goodness speaks of being generous and open-hearted. How about faithfulness? That talks about being dependable or loyal. Gentleness. That means you're humble, calm, non-threatening. Having self-control. That means you behave well. You know how to control your tongue. You know how to control your actions. And against such, against this fruit that we see, this fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. And I like how Pastor Chuck Smith explains it. He says that love, this is, of course, agape love, the godly type of love, the unselfish love, the sacrificial love. That is the type of love that is the fruit of the Spirit. And he says that from that fruit of the Spirit, pretty much all of these other qualities will begin to show. And so love is the fruit of the Spirit. And the rest of what we see there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are qualities that describe love. Or you can also see it as love being the core of the fruit of the Spirit. And so is that what God will find as he's looking for fruit in our lives? And so in Mark eleven fifteen. They came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple complex and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. He overturned the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares or goods through the temple courts. Then he taught saying to them, is it not written My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. You made it a hideout for robbers. Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16. It says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, but have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. And so Jesus didn't go into the temple per se that the priests would go into. But he was in the temple complex. He was in the court of the Gentiles and he overthrew those tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and pigeons misusing the house of God, which was supposed to have been a house of prayer. But one thing I want you to notice here, something else I want you to notice here, and it's found in Matthew 21, that reference that I put up there on the wall or on the screen, is that what the children were saying had actually upset the religious leaders. Because children in their innocence, humility, and sincerity, all they were doing was speaking the truth. They didn't have to be Bible scholars about Jesus, but they knew what they saw and they recognized him as the one who can save now. So they can call him Hosanna to the son of David. No, they didn't understand everything, but they knew they recognized him as the Messiah. And they were upset. These religious leaders, they were so mad. That that Jesus would allow the children to say that. But their cry was one of sincerity and non-hypocritical hearts. I just want to know tonight, do we have the praise of children that are non-hypocritical? That are pure? That maybe I don't know how everything is going to work out. Maybe I don't know how to quote the scriptures. Maybe I haven't memorized half of the New Testament. Or maybe I don't know exactly everything about God and his attributes. But you know what? I have the simple praise of a child. Oh, I have this obstacle before me. But as a child, I'm going to just cry out in praise because I don't understand how he's going to do it. I don't understand why I am in this situation. But with the praise of a child, I'm just going to simply praise him. Do we have the praise 
of a child within us. Verses 18 and 19, it says, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it. They heard everything Jesus did and said in the temple complex, and they sought how they might destroy him, and they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. And the scripture tells us in Matthew where he went. He went back, of course, to Bethany, to where his friends were. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Now, although cleansing the temple was an act that made the religious leaders upset, obviously Jesus felt that it was necessary. He felt it was necessary to cleanse the temple. But what we want to do tonight is end by talking about another temple. We want to end by talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit, which the scripture says is our body. And because the Holy Spirit indwells us, get this, it sounds weird to say, but as believers, because the Holy Spirit indwells us and he he won't leave us nor forsake us, he indwells us permanently as true believers What happens when we disobey God, what happens when we sin as believers, and it's weird to say, but it's true, we take the Holy Spirit with us. And and I wonder if we ever thought about that before we said what we shouldn't have said, before we did what we shouldn't have done. Are we realizing that the Holy Spirit is with us? In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, it says to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were not bought at a price? We are not our own. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, it's reasonable to glorify or honor God in our body and in our spirits, which is God. So we need to realize that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what are we doing with our bodies? Are we bringing honor to him? Or are we sinning with the very thing that he purchased you know, the scriptures tell us, and we know ourselves, that there are some things, remember, think, temple of the Holy Spirit, that's what we are. But there are some things in our hearts and in our lives that need to be overturned. Just like Jesus overturned those tables and those seats. And there's some things in our hearts and in our lives that need to be driven out. Because Jesus, in talking to his disciples of what defiles, he said, but those things in Matthew 15, 18, which proceed out of the mouth, come from the heart and they defile the man. Verse 19, it says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These things that come out, of, come out of our hearts and come out of our mouths, they defile us. So there's some things in our lives. There's some things in our body, so to speak, as, as a temple of God that needs to be purged, that need to be overturned and instead Of being an instrument of sin, we need to be an instrument of righteousness. You see, these mouths that are a part of the temple of the Holy Spirit, they should be instruments of prayer. These mouths that we have should be the instruments of praise. They should be the instruments of sharing words of comfort and words of encouragement, sharing words of truth. We should not be using our mouths, which is a part of the temple of the Holy Spirit, to be tearing down, to be bringing death to a person's character, to be backbiting. Oh, these instruments... That should be used for righteousness, our bodies, our members. Also include our hands. Our hands should be used for doing the work of God instead of being used as instruments of 
stealing. Tax season's coming up. You may not be stealing something out of a store, but we can be stealing taxes, so to speak, on our tax return, lying on our taxes, cheating on our taxes. Our feet, which is a part of this temple of the Holy Spirit, should be going where God wants us to go instead of where evil is. Our minds that God has given to us, has, they have the capacity to be used to glorify God. And they should be used to glorify God instead of thinking about filth, instead of dwelling on fears, instead of dwelling on lies. And so what are we thinking about? Philippians 4.8 says, as the worship team comes to the stage, Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brethren, and this tells us what should, what should we have our minds on. Remember, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble or honorable, whatever things are just or right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report or commendable, if there is any virtue, or moral excellence. And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, think on those things. So what are we meditating on? What are we using our minds for? Allowing our minds to dwell on. What are we using our bodies for? Are our minds and bodies being used to glorify God? But Darrell, 2021 is around the corner. I'm going to wait till 2021 to allow Jesus to overturn these things in my mind, to overturn these things in my heart, to cleanse this temple, so to speak. I would encourage you that we don't need to wait till next year and you shouldn't wait till next year. Tomorrow's not even promised. So don't wait till then to try to have the Lord cleanse you. To overturn some things in your life. We need to have this done right now. And I just want to say this and we're going to close for tonight. In our last Wednesday night service of 2020. I'll say this that. If you remember what happened in verse 11. Before Jesus cleansed the temple. It says that he just looked around. And then as the hour was late, he just went back to Bethany. So all he did was just survey it. So I just want to let you know tonight and end with this, that the Lord has already surveyed what's in your heart. He's already surveyed what needs to be cleansed. From your temple, so to speak, or the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's already surveyed it. He already knows what needs to be done. And as we see here in this actual cleansing of the temple, which technically was the second time he did that. Because early on in this ministry, he cleansed the temple the first time. So this is really the second time he did it. But as we see from there that not only has he surveyed. What's going on in our hearts? Not only does he know how to overturn things in our hearts and to cleanse the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he can get it done. He can get it done. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him overturn those things to drive out some things? Not allow those things to hold you back from a more fruitful fellowship with him. We always hear people talking about they want to be all that they want to be. That they want that abundant spiritual life. But a lot of times this is what's holding people back. Is that we won't allow him to drive out what needs to be driven out of us. Okay, I talk too much. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that not only have you surveyed what's in us, within this temple of the Holy Spirit, within our hearts, 
You know how to deal with it. You're able to deal with it. You are willing to deal with it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would search us, Lord. We ask that you would help us to overcome our struggles, that you would help us to overcome our weaknesses, that you would help us to lay aside every weight, everything, anything that's holding us back in this Christian race. And Lord, help us to not depend on weight uh, on, on the new year before we allow you to make those changes in our lives. Lord, we ask for a right now cleansing. And we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that we know that if we would just surrender, you will do it and you can do it. And I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight that as they leave this place and never from your presence, that you would bless them, use them in a mighty way this week and during this Christmas season. And may they have great spiritual momentum going into 2021. Just being on fire for you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for being here. And once again, uh, it's the last uh, Wednesday night service of the year. So um, hey, keep each other in prayer. God bless you. Uh, God, keep, God keep you and we love you. Um, if you do need any prayers, we'll, we'll be here in the front. Um, if you need to rededicate your life to Christ, we're here. If you're not saved and you want to um, pray and ask the Lord to come into your life, we're here. If you're going through some trials and struggles, you need somebody to agree with you in prayer, we're here. So I just wanted to let you know that. And once again, we love you. And if you're able to stand for our last song, please stand. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.